Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. The reading is from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. The sign of Emmanuel. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remelah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remelah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remelah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim too will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remelah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Now, Isaiah chapter 7 is... It's a very well-known passage. We, we read it every, every year at Christmas time, at, at carol services, and, and the like. But it's, it's not a very easy passage. Uh, it, it's, it's quite complicated. And if we're honest, we, we don't really know what's going on and, until we get to verse 14. The, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and we'll call him Emmanuel. And we go, ah, uh, it's about Mary and Jesus. It's about the birth of Jesus. Well, well, is this a prophecy about the birth of Jesus? And if so, then how does it relate to the rest of the prophecy, which all seems to be about two armies invading? So, is Isaiah chapter 7 about Jesus? And the answer is, obviously, no. And yes. <laughs> uh, and so, what we first need to do is understand this prophecy within its original historical context before we can see how it is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And so today we're going to first look at what this passage meant in its original historical context. Then we're going to see how this passage is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and then finally, we're going to look at what this passage means for us today. So what is the original historical context? Well, we read in verse 1, when Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezim of Aram, and Pekim, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel marched up to fight against Jerusalem. Well, there you go. That clears everything up for you. Okay, let's try and unpack this. So, we have King Ahaz is the king of Judah. Down in the south, you have Judah, and King Ahaz is the king. And while he's in his capital city, Jerusalem, he hears reports that Two kings, the king of Aram and the king of Israel, are, are about to attack. They're going to invade. And, and he's, a, he's quite naturally, he's a bit terrified, he's in a panic, because they, they, they're going to attack him. They want to replace him. They want to put their own man on his throne. And so this is an attack on him and his dynasty. Okay, that's important. And so he's in a panic, and in his panic, he makes a treaty. We discover this in 2 Kings chapter 16, in verse 5 to 9. He makes a secret treaty with Assyria. Assyria is the superpower of the day. And so he's in a panic, and he's putting his trust in Assyria. Uh, and we discover in, in verse 3 that he's, he's in such a panic, he's trying to do everything he can to make sure he's safe, that he's, he's investigating, he's checking out the aqueduct, the water supply, which is going to be vital if your city is being invaded by two armies. And, and so he, he's panicking and he's kind of putting his trust in his own schemes in trying to work out the water duct, but, but he's missing the point. In verse 2, he is referred to as the house of David. That, that means he is a descendant of the great king David, who was the greatest king of Judah. And God had promised David that one of his descendants would always be on the throne and that God would look after him and protect him. 
And so he, Ahaz, should be trusting God and the promise of God, not putting all his trust in his own schemes, the water duck, and his political schemes of putting it, making a treaty with Assyria. And so God wants to encourage Ahaz and remind Ahaz of that promise and to reassure Ahaz that he, God, will look after him. And so he sends the prophet Isaiah, uh, and the prophet says in verse 4, Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. He comes to, to, to Ahaz and says, Keep calm, don't panic, calm down. How can he not be panicking when there are two armies about to invade? Well, well, Isaiah gives him a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, he refers to uh, these two invading armies as two smoldering stubs of firewood. They might look fierce, but they've got little fire left in them. They're, they're just smoldering stubs. It's like a, a cigarette butt that is about to be squashed out. They will soon be destroyed. Don't worry about them. They will soon be destroyed. And as for their plot to remove Ahaz and put their own man on his throne, well, God says in verse, verse 7, it, won't, it will not take place. It will not happen. And in verse 8, he gives a reason why. For the head of Aram is only Rezim. And, and the head of Ephraim is only Ramalia's son. Ephraim, of course, is another word for Israel. And, and what he's effectively saying over here, the head of those two countries is just a mere human. Where the head of Judah is God himself. And so he ends at the, at, at the end of verse 9. He says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If Ahaz puts his trust in God, if he stands on the word of God and the promise of God, he will be fine. But if he, puts, if he takes matters into his own ham and puts his trust in his own schemes, the water duck and his own political scheming of his treaty with Syria, then he'll be defeated. He won't stand. And so he's encouraged to stand on the word and the promise of God. And to further encourage him, uh, the prophet Isaiah says uh, it, that, that, that God will give him a sign. A sign to prove that what God has just said will happen. But Ahaz isn't interested in God's plan or God's opinion. And he says in verse 12, I will not put the Lord to the test. What a hypocrite. He's trying to sound so righteous and spiritual while refusing God's offer of a sign. How often do we do that when we're facing a crisis and 
We're taking matters into our own hands. We're putting all our trust in our own schemes. Rather than trusting God, we don't want to trust God. And then, and then we try to sound spiritual. Well, I don't want to pray about this. I don't want to bother God, God with this. I, 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 can, I can sort this by myself. When actually what we're simply doing is failing to trust God. By the way, it's not testing the Lord to do what He says. It is testing God to refuse God's offer of a sign. And so in verse 13, Isaiah says, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of human will you, humans? Will you try the patience of God also? God's starting to become impatient with Ahaz's lack of faith. His unbelief. And so God basically says uh, to Ahaz, well, I'm going to give you a sign whether you like it or not. <laughs> and he says, we read in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, the, the Hebrew word that is translated virgin uh, it literally just means a young woman of maritable age. Which, of course, in that culture was almost always a virgin. And, and who exactly is this virgin? Well, the text doesn't tell us. And so it could be any virgin known to them. But, but the context strongly suggests that it's someone within the house of David. For this is a sign to the house of David. So it's most likely she's part of the house of David. She's in the royal court. She's there probably while the message has been delivered. I can just kind of imagine uh, Isaiah the prophet delivering this, this oracle and kind of pointing with his elbow to, to this virgin. And the virgin will conceive. Uh, and, and so it's most likely that what happened was after this prophecy was given, the king then married a virgin who then conceived and gave birth to a son who was the heir to the throne. And so this was a sign to, to everyone there that, that God is faithful to his promises and that God will protect his dynasty and the birth of the son was a sign of that because he was the heir to the throne. But there's more to the prophecy than that. In verse 16 it says, For before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So sometime between the birth of this son and before, he, it's a, before the boy is old enough to reject wrong and choose right, in other words, his bar mitzvah when he's about 12, so sometime between his birth and when he's 12 years old, those two nations that, that Ahaz dreads will be destroyed. And that's exactly what happens. About two years later, so Isaiah gives us prophecy in about 734 B.C. And about two years later, 
Assyria had completely destroyed Aram and had invaded Israel. But 12 years after the birth of the boy, Assyria had completely destroyed Israel. And everyone there would know that God is faithful to His promises. And so they can stand on the promises of God. But there are dire consequences when you don't stand on the promises of God. You don't stand on the Word of God and you take matters into your own hands. In verse 17 it says, The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time like any since Ephraim, that's Israel, broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Because Ahaz refused to just trust God and put his faith in God and stand on the promises of God, because Ahaz took matters in his own hands and started trying to rely on his own planning with the aqueduct and more so scheming, political scheming with the Assyrians, with his treaty, the Assyrians eventually turned on him and became his greatest enemy. Dire consequences when we don't remain faithful to God. But even so, God still remains faithful to us. Even when we don't remain faithful to Him, He remained faithful to, the, to, to His promises. And He remained the God who is with them. And so that's the original historical context. At a time of great distress... God gave them a sign. A virgin married and then conceived and gave birth to a son, the future heir to the throne. And this was a sign to them that God is faithful to His promises, that God will remain with them, and that God would rescue them. And so we can easily see how this prophecy finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Because once again, the, the people of God found themselves in a time of great distress. The Romans had invaded and were ruling over the world, over, over their land. And it seemed as though evil was ruling over the world. They were in great distress. They were also in great distress because of the sin in their own life and the evil in their own heart. And it felt as though God had abandoned them. And in that time of great distress, God gave them a sign. A literal virgin, Mary, gave birth to a son, the ultimate king, a descendant of David. And he was literally Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. A sign that God is faithful to his promises that He will remain with us and He will rescue us. And this sign, this birth of Jesus, encourages us and inspires our faith to remain faithful even in the midst of a crisis. And we will all experience 
crises and difficulties in life. It might not be a literal army invading, although for many Christians in Ukraine it is. But we all experience crises and difficulties in life. Especially now with the energy crisis and the increase in, the, in living costs and the increased number of mental health issues that we are seeing. We, we're all facing difficulties and un, uncertainties. But we can be encouraged that God will remain faithful to His promises. And so rather than panicking like Ahaz and, and trying to take matters into our own hands, running around like crazy, scheming and doing things, trying to control things that we can't control, and just making things worse and getting more anxious, doing things our own way rather than God's way, and as a result, there, there, there's dire consequences because there's always dire consequences when we don't stand on the promises of God. There's lots of difficulties and hardships in life because we live in a fallen world. And the only way to experience peace, inner peace, in amongst all the chaos, is to let go and let God. I believe that God's word for us this morning is if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If we do not stand on the word and the promises of God, we will not stand. God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. To be with us until the very end of this age. God has promised that one day he will sort all things out. All sin and evil and death will be removed and everything will be the way it should be. We can trust God. Because he has given us the ultimate sign of his faithfulness and his love. By becoming an infant been born of a virgin, been placed in a manger, and then dying for us because he loves us. Emmanuel, God with us. Are you facing difficulties, hardships, and uncertainties? Are you in a panic trying to resolve the situation? Do you need inner peace amidst the chaos? If so, will then this Christmas reflect upon that ultimate sign of God's faithfulness and love? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust you. That you are faithful. Father, we confess that so often when we face in our hardship, we just kind of get into a panic. We try to do, sort things out. We, we, we put all our trust in our own scheming. And Father, we confess that so often we just make it worse and our anxiety just gets higher. Father, won't you help us to let go and to trust you? To put our trust in you, to stand on your promises and your word. Because it's only through them that we will truly stand. And we can trust you. We thank you for the most awesome, most wonderful, most mind blowing, most uncomprehensible sign ever. That you became one of us. That you became an infant, born of a virgin, placed in a manger. And then ultimately you died for us. Because you love us and you promise never to leave us nor forsake us, but to be with us until the very end of age. We just can't comprehend that. But Father, help us just to receive that afresh this Christmas time. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, abgavenibaptist.co.uk.